Good morning. Let's get the first slide up, please. In 2006, uh, the results of a Gallup survey done was put out presenting the analysis of information that was gathered between 2005, 2002, 2005 regarding religious affiliations and assembly slash worship attendance. About 11,000 people were interviewed. Uh, the subjects of those, um, at least 123, were from Churches of Christ, and the rest ranging from Mormons, Pentecostals, Southern Baptists, <clears throat> uh, to the other faith heritages that were structured around liturgical services. During <clears throat> this um, survey, people said and were honest about how, how frequent they attended worship, and um, as uh, the editor of the Chronicle put up there, he says, we are number one as far as churches of Christ. We are leading the way in terms of church attendance. That was back in 2006. August of 2020, uh, he revisited that article for a broader conversation stemming from the question, when the pandemic is all over, will membership return to mirror devotion and numbers of the past? Will people just worship online or refuse to worship altogether? The survey at least hints that maybe we are more attuned as a fellowship, accustomed or cultured to attend worship. But the question is, why? Next slide, please. Is the data skewed? Did a few folks you know, lie about their attendance? Uh, did some folks just attend because they wanted to make sure to come and fulfill the five acts so that they would not go to hell? Um, is it just a legality issue or, or an obligation to fulfill? Do they come to avoid the stigma of being labeled an unfaithful Christian if someone has not seen you in the past two or three months? And as we understand and think about this information and this data, I want to center our minds on worship this morning and ask to those online and to those in this room, why are you here this morning? Why are you worshiping online? Why did you make yourself and your kids get up? What do you expect? What do you think God is going to do? Do you think he does anything at this time? Do you expect anything miraculous to happen? Is it purely physical, gathering in this aspect or is there something spiritual going on? I want to speak on worship this morning as a sacrament, a way or means, you know, as baptism and as the Lord's Supper, a way that God uses to not only bless us or inspire us, but to give us some sort of a grace. We want to revisit the idea that as we gather, something is happening, and God is not just sitting aloft asking us to sing more and to, and to play more and to read more, but he's intricately involved with uh, worship. Next slide, please. And so we have two scriptures that I want to send to our talk around. Hebrews 10, verse 19 to 25, and Hebrews 12, 18 to verse 24 and 28. And though they are two different passages, they are in the same context, the same book, as the Hebrew writer gives an exhortation about the idea of worship. So I'd like to read these two passages as we seek to lay the foundation for our topic or discuss this morning. 
Hebrews 10 from verse 19 reads, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Verse 24, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 12 from verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be broken or shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for God is a God of consuming fire. Keith Lancaster, one of the most formidable songwriters, especially when it comes to four-part harmony in Churches of Christ, penned a song when I was a kid. The church is you. You can't go to church, the chorus said. Some people say. The common terminology we use every day. You can go to a chapel. You can sit on a pew. But you cannot go to church because the church is you. Next slide, please. As I thought about this song, I understood that the church is a spiritual entity. It is not anything physical. When we speak of worship or assembling... We speak of a spiritual experience that is only physical in the sense that we do action and we use words to fulfill the experience of meeting God, being gathered, assembled to God. So in the Garden of Eden, God created his people and he came to them, the text says, walking in the cool of the day as it were. Later, when they became enslaved in Egypt land, God saved them, protected them, provided for them once again, and sought to dwell with them. So the Hebrew writer in Hebrews 12, verse 18 and verse 22 respectively says, You have not come to a mountain that cannot be touched, but you have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. The word for drawing near, coming, is the word for assembly. And so after the epic salvation and providence given to the Israelites by their God, he once again is nestled among them in a very visible way. Next slide, please. Pillars of cloud and fire, rumbling of mountains, 
Unmistakable is his presence and power while they move and the tribes are set up according to the allotment. He is there in the midst of them. Where? In the tabernacle, in the Mishkan or rootwood shakan. Literally meaning in Hebrew, dwelling place where God would take up residence, giving aid to sight and sound for the people's comfort and blessing. In other words, they saw that God was there and they felt that God was there and they heard that God was there. The real presence of God from the Garden of Eden came once again to the people as he tabernacled among them. During the intertestamental period, the close of Malachi, the Old Testament, and the beginning of Matthew, the rabbis wrote to give flesh to the commandments of the Torah. And they revisited the idea of dwelling place, and they came up with this word called Shekinah, God's Shekinah glory that dwells in the midst of the people. So you go to Matthew chapter 18, and the Bible says, if there are two or three gathered, then God's Shekinah glory is there as well, indicating that as God dwelt with his people in the tabernacle, in the wilderness, that same glory is among people who gather to worship him. Two or three. And so as an assembled people gathered unto God, they used feast days, the feast of booths, the feast of tabernacles, the feast of weeks, Pentecost, Passover feasts, They used these things to commemorate that God had done something great, to release them from the captors, to provide for them, to bless them. And they used the Torah. They used the Torah. They gave songs. They gave hymns and psalms. They made oblation to God. They had church in the wilderness. Don't you believe? The regular rhythm of assembly was established among Israel. Don't get caught up in the word church or in the semantics. The call to gather or to assembly or assemble came on the heels of God's salvation and provision for his people miraculously. You see, the essence of worship is well established in the Old Testament. And even as Jesus came on the scene, he took part in worship. So after God tried to have fellowship in Eden, he came back full circle Again, as the tabernacles among the Israelites are seen here. Then they disobeyed. Then they built a temple where God's glory was housed. housed. And then in 587 thereabout, the Babylonians ransacked and destroyed the temple. And much to their demise, in AD 70 again, the temple would be destroyed. Christ comes on the scene, known as Emmanuel, Christ comes on the scene known as God with us, God dwelling with us, because he's not interested in being in a temple, but even closer. Jesus epitomized that reality. He went to the synagogue under the gathering word. He read the Torah. He gave the true sense of it. And yes, as he went to the dedications and, you know, they had the readings, he took part in the spiritual life of Israel. Could you believe it? That as they gathered and the priests did their due diligence in the Holy of Holies, God in the flesh was there as well, confirming their need for worship. And as Matthew 24 opens up, he says to his disciples, See, boys, all these stones that are stacked up one on each other will be thrown down. 
And he's saying things. I'm going to destroy this temple in, and in three days I'm going to raise it up. They said, what are you saying, man? But he's speaking about himself. The temple of God that would be raised on the third day. So after historical cliff notes and abbreviated explanations of how God has always sought to be present with us, we now get to listen to the culmination of history in the words of the Hebrew spen. Next slide, please. Hebrews 10 reads from verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promises faithful... And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. The practice of love morphs into good deeds. And this process begins at the church house. The word spur is a word of provocation. Righteous pestilence, a reminder to open your eyes to where you are, to how to live in view of where you are. It's a righteous provocation that members, you know, afford to each other. And I'm reminded, as this couple lives in New York, in the dead of winter, and they make their way to the Bahamas, the wife is excited about the scenery and the water while the husband is continuing working on his laptop. And she nudges him, saying, hey, look up. Take in the scenery. Enjoy it. We only spent $4,000 and took two planes to come here. You might as well enjoy it. Or those folks traveling to Alaska, driving to the outskirts, of a certain town under the vast Alaskan sky, setting up their tent in hopes of seeing the northern lights dance and ebb and flow, only for one of them to fall asleep and to be violently shaken awake. Hey, wake up! The northern lights have begun their display. There will be enough time to sleep later. You see, the point is, you've traveled because of the essence of a vacation. You've traveled because of the essence of the northern lights. And once you get there, you refuse to open your eyes and your mind to the reality. You fall asleep. You're working on your laptop. It is the same thing with worship. The Hebrew writer says, spur each other on. Remind your neighbor where they are at. Wake up. Keep your senses intact and engaged. Remember where you're at. The biggest question of the morning relative to worship, what we should know about it, what we should expect, what really happens when we gather is this. What is the reality of it all? What is God using this worship time to lead us to? If you've been to a church building but never been to worship, the Hebrew writer is about to let it rain. Next slide, please. I want to begin in verse 28 before I get to verse 18 to establish the fact that this text is indeed about worship. Just to remind you that what we are going to get into is talking about a gathered people assembled and making oblation to God. It is about worship. 
whether you're online, whether you're in Africa, Europe, Asia, the Caribbean, wherever souls are gathered right now. Verse 28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is not two or three on a fishing trip. This is not two or three walking in the fields or going to the mall. This is two or three giving oblation to God. This is worship. Verse 18 says, You have not come to a mountain that cannot be touched, and that is burdened with fire, to darkness, to gloom and doom, but you have come to this place. Verse 22, You've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to heavenly Jerusalem. Not a physical mountain, but a spiritual city. A living God. He is the God of those who live in the body or out of the body. Discovered or undiscovered. Everything and every being that you know about in this world or don't know about, the spiritual space that exists between reality and where God is, He is the Lord, the living God of all that space. Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. Secondly, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. We have this picture of Isaiah chapter 6. The angels are gathered singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And you get a revelation. And they're singing somebody worthy. Worthy is the Lamb to receive honor and strength and glory and power. We have come to join thousands of angels singing, Holy is the Lamb. This is that worship. Angels joining the chorus. Verse 23 says, You have come to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. Meaning, you are gathered together with the saved, the people who have put on Christ, whose names are now written in heaven. So you have the living God. You have thousands upon thousands of angels, and you have the people gathered here in Africa, in Asia, everywhere people are gathered for worship. We are here with them spiritually. The assembled church, worshiping the ones that are saved, the ones that are online or on ground. You have come to God the judge of all, he gives life and he gives reward to everyone when the time and the world is redeemed. This is my favorite part. You've come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. You see, Jesus was made perfect by the things that he suffered. And as the saints who follow him as well, read Hebrews 11, read Hebrews 12, those who were sown asunder, those wondering about in sheepskins, those dying in the amphitheater and the coliseums, they are given eternal life by the God of life, the God of Abraham and Rahab and Sarah and Jacob and Harold and Nomad. Next slide, please. Your sons, your daughters, your uncles, your wives, your husbands, your cousins, all those that have died in faith, they are here this morning. They are here this morning. All those that have died in faith are here with you this morning, singing glory, glory to the Lamb. Everyone who has named the name of Christ. Verse 24 says, you have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus, the embodiment of God. The Son, the one who gave communion so that we could celebrate with him. 
new in the kingdom of heaven. This is the kingdom. This is the day that he celebrates new. This is the church gathered worshiping on the first day of the week. And I saw a team get up last week and he preached. He was together emotionally. He was together physically after having lost his dad because he believes in the hope of the resurrection. And he knows that as we gather, yes, Harold is here as well. He's gathering as well. His wife is gathering as well. All those that have gone on in faith are gathered as well. When the church is assembled, we are no longer here. We have entered the Holy of Holies. We've joined the living everywhere and the dead to this world. Yet we are alive in the presence of God. We have been lifted up in the city of the living God, the holy space, because we have joined the chorus and we sing with the people you can see and those that you cannot see. Table of the Lord. A worldwide event where the spiritual and the physical collide in an ecstasy of involvement, facilitated for by God Almighty. And some folks have no idea what's going on. When we gather, the glory that dwells in Israel, the glory of God, dwells among us by virtue of Christ. God initiates it. As in Eden, he starts it. He approaches us, and he gives us ways and means. He gives us sacraments. To deliver his grace through. We assemble because God first called us into assembly. Because God first loved us. He came to us and so we go to him. We join the saints past and present. The heavenly angels. The church universal. To praise God. Confess our hope and encourage each other. To provoke each other to righteousness. If we cannot show up for God and all the ones who die in faith that we say we love and we miss, how will we ever lock hands and heart to go out into the world and show up for the lost? Interestingly enough, we go to grave sites. We have memorials every year for those who have gone in faith. Yet the one place, the one place where we can come to worship with them, we treat as trivial. We celebrate and commemorate death instead of life. Thank God it's Friday, right? Well, Friday was a day of death. I want to say thank God it's Sunday because Sunday was the day of life, the day my Lord rose and resurrected. Sunday was the day of life, the day he rose, the day the assembly of living beings embodied and disembodied gather in the presence of the living God. Next slide, please. So as you think about worship, and as you think about what you are to be doing or who you are in the presence of, seen and unseen, remember this. The day of assembly is paralleled with Mount Sinai. That mountain that was so terrible to behold and to see and to feel the vibes coming from there. He says, no, 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 you have not come to this mountain. You have full access right now with God. To the Holy of Holies, without fear of judgment, but mercy. And we stand in a righteousness purchased for us through the blood of Christ. And so as the church worships, the church works, the works of righteousness in the community. I mean, it's not rocket science, but you know, the, the science behind the rocket, so to speak. In this, in this case, the equations and formulas you have to get right so that the rocket would operate. But 
we're not talking about rocket science. We're not talking about equations and formulas. We are talking about attitudes and understanding of what worship is and what worship does and what God gives through worship as he mediates his presence. It is not an obligation to participate, but an honor and privilege to welcome and be welcomed in Mount Zion. And you thought you were only coming to do five acts midst four walls. We're going to pray, we're going to sing, we're going to preach, we're going to have lots of and we're going to give, and we're going to get out of here. When you have people who have gone on before, that great cloud of witness cheering us on, can't wait for Sunday morning to worship with us in the heavenly realm. What would you miss for that opportunity? I don't want to belabor the point. So we will begin to bring this to a close. The sacrament of worship. God uses the Lord's Supper as a sacrament, a vehicle to bring forth his grace to bless us with the presence of Christ, the real presence. Baptism as a way to bring salvation. Because justified. Worship as a way of uniting us with those who have gone on before, those who are here now. In the same moment, everywhere in the world, singing with an innumerable company of angels, singing with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, everyone gathered online, and everyone gathered here. No one should have to force you or tell you, hey, wake up, don't sleep, don't check your emails, don't watch YouTube videos, or play video games on your phone, or, 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 or people watch. No one has to tell you to modify your behavior if you know where you're at. All my friends your friends, and all family, and all loved ones who have gone on before are here. And I felt particularly excited this morning because I knew Charles was going to be here as well. I knew Harold was going to be here. And every one of, of us who had people that we love, who died in faith, the Bible says we are caught up in this heavenly place, this spiritual place, to, to be with God in his presence and to worship. It doesn't happen like that. Every day. It only happens when Christians gather to make oblation to God. So I'll begin and end with the same question. If you're online, if you're in this building, what are you here for? What do you expect? What is worship to you? Are you coming to get something? Are you coming to give something? Or are you coming to experience Almighty God dwelling in your presence? And singing with those from the past and those from the present. The Father, we thank you for the privilege of worship. Thank you for living and moving amongst us. And our soul prayer in this moment, Heavenly Father to help us to open our eyes and open our heart and open our spirit to the work that you want to do within us, through us and among us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.
make an adjustment. So I want you to think about how.